In the Gospel of Matthew and the 26th chapter, our Lord Jesus Christ sat with his disciples in the upper room for the Last Supper. He took some bread and a cup, two very common and ordinary things, and he made them represent one of the most significant things in the universe. And today I'd like to share with you just briefly about what 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 20 calls the Lord's Supper. I'll have four points. The first is we'll talk about the Lord's Supper in history. Then we'll talk about the Lord's Supper in theology, the Lord's Supper in hard times, and we'll end by talking about the Lord's Supper in heaven. Let's begin in Matthew's Gospel, the 26th chapter. And it's very easy to remember where to find the Last Supper. All you have to remember is Matthew 26, verse 26. And here's what we read. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's begin by thinking about the Lord's Supper in history. Our Lord physically and actually met with his disciples in an upper room in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. According to this passage, he took some bread, he broke it, he blessed it, and then he gave it to them to eat. He then took a cup. He gave thanks and gave it to them to drink. And this was not to be a one-time event. Our Lord said to his disciples, do this in remembrance of me, according to Luke's gospel in the 22nd chapter. And in so saying, the disciples took that to mean that they ought to celebrate the Lord's Supper often. And you can see them in Acts chapter number 2 as an example in verse number 42 meeting consistently to break bread together. Same in Acts chapter 20. They met on the first day of the week to break bread. And same in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. The Apostle Paul teaches the Corinthian church which was a long way and after that upper room experience in Jerusalem how to properly partake in the Lord's Supper. And so for thousands of years, Christians in secret, in homes, in public, in beautiful houses of worship have taken a little bit of bread and a little cup and they have remembered the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for all of us. 
There are a lot of things in the church and in life which could likely be called man-made traditions. And there's nothing wrong in most cases, I would suspect, with tradition. However, it must be always understood that the Lord's Supper is not a man-made human tradition. It's rooted in actual biblical history. It's as real and significant as baptism, which actually took place when our Lord went down into the River Jordan and was baptized by John the Baptist and then instructed his disciples to teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the Lord's Supper is as historic and significant as preaching the gospel which our Lord commissioned his disciples to do when he sent them forth saying, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So when we talk about the Lord's Supper, we're talking about an actual historic event and a supper, a memorial, which is rooted in biblical history. Now let's think briefly about the theology of the Lord's Supper. And by theology, we mean our beliefs or our faith, almost something that's invisible or divine. And on that last night in the upper room, you can hear some of the theology of the Lord's Supper when Jesus says, he takes the bread and he says, this is my body. And he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood. Then he says, do this in remembrance of me. So we're not talking about just an ordinary physical meal, but one that has tremendous depth and spiritual meaning. Some people think that the Lord meant that the bread and the cup actually become the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they are somehow actually spiritually transformed into his body and blood and that by taking these things somehow grace is imparted to us and we are made right with God we know that's pure heresy and completely false because we must always keep in mind what Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 teach for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast so we're not saved by doing anything we're not made right with God by our good works by our religious exercises and certainly not by taking bread and a little bit of grape juice so when we talk about the theology of the Lord's Supper and Jesus says this bread is my body he's he's using it as a representation of his body and we understand this more clearly when you go over to John chapter 6 and in chapter number 47 of John chapter 6 our Lord Jesus Christ had one of those lovely I am statements and in John 6 47 he says 
Most surely I say unto you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Physical bread gives physical life. But he extends here in John chapter 6 to say that physical bread can never give everlasting life. For everybody who eats physical bread dies. The Lord Jesus Christ, however, he can give eternal and everlasting life. So he says, I'm the bread of life. I'm like physical bread giving physical life, only I give everlasting and eternal life. And John chapter 6 and verse 37 says how he gives eternal life. I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. So when we put the bread to our mouth at the Lord's Supper, we recognize that it doesn't transform into anything spiritual, and it certainly is not the physical body of Christ. Rather, when we put the bread to our mouth and we think, as this bread gives me physical life, so the Lord Jesus Christ is able to give me spiritual, everlasting, or eternal life. And how does he do that? How do I receive him in that life? By faith, by believing in the gospel message. Now it's similar when we turn our attention to the cup. The cup, he says, represents my blood. This is my blood, he says. And he adds, it's the blood of the New Testament or the blood of the new covenant. Now those are great big words that have to do with promises that are made between two parties. And in the scripture, normally when we talk about a covenant which made between God and humanity, we're talking about the obligation to keep those promises on only one of those two parties. It's generally an unconditional covenant depending entirely upon God keeping the obligations for the fulfillment of those promises. And this becomes incredibly meaningful when we think about the Lord's Supper and the cup which represents the blood of Christ. As we put the cup to our lips, we understand that the promises that God has made in the scriptures, for example, to forgive our sins, to give us the Holy Spirit, to provide us a home in heaven and everlasting life and a sweet and lasting relationship with him. As we put the cup to our lips, we recognize that all of these promises are not based on what I do, my part, uh, my good works or church membership or baptism or even taking of the Lord's Supper. It's depending entirely upon the obligations of God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on the cross, shed his blood for our sins, and rose again the third day, and what he accomplished happily and joyfully provides all of those promises to us. So yes, it's actual physical food that we put into our, our mouth and our bellies, 
but it means much more than that. And we must never mix up the symbol with the substance. Jesus took something very plain, common, and ordinary and made it represent one of the most meaningful and significant things in life. That's the Lord's Supper in history and the Lord's Supper in theology. What about the Lord's Supper in hard times? I love that our Lord instituted this time of remembrance in the form of a supper. Suppers bring people together. Suppers are times of sharing and fellowship and companionship. And what does a person need more in hard times than being together with God's people and the Lord himself? Which is why we come around the table together. We come to meet with other believers and the Lord. And that is one of the things that helps us through our hard times. Early in the pages of Genesis, we hear that it's not good for man to be alone. And though, yes, there are certainly indications in the scripture that it's okay to be alone at certain times, Jesus said to his disciples, come apart and rest a while. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, with the institution of marriage, we see that there are times when married people who are supposed to be living together can be separated. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that separation is for a time, a, a set determined period of time. And its, its purpose is always for them to come back together and experience reconciliation. We're never supposed to be apart from others forever and in our hard times what we need most of all is one another and so now in this present temporary suspension we certainly have biblical foundation and basis to not gather for a time but let no one think although we are more than happy to participate and and care for our, our neighbors and consider the health of others let no one think that we will permanently suspend our gatherings and that we will never come back together again such a thing is entirely contrary to the word of God in fact we're supposed to be not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together and in fact, gathering together so much the more as we see the day approaching. And so, yes, we can temporarily go in this direction or that direction. But ultimately, we must always come back together around the Lord's table with the Lord, remembering Jesus for that is one of the greatest of comforts in the hard times that we face. And I honestly am sincerely looking forward to a time in the not too distant future 
when we can gather back together again around the Lord's table and take the cup and take the bread and remember Jesus. Now, let me mention one last thing, and that's the Lord's Supper in heaven. Jesus promised his disciples as he sat in the upper room at the Last Supper in John chapter 14, I will come again. And we believe firmly in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Matthew chapter 26, where we read a few moments ago, indicates that Jesus, as he held up the bread and the cup for the first time, was equally thinking about his coming again and celebrating that last supper together with his people in heaven. Listen to what Matthew 26 and verse 29 says. I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Christians have celebrated the Lord's Supper thousands of times over the years. Jesus has only served it and celebrated it once, and that was in the, Lord, in the upper room. He's going to celebrate it again. One day in the future, the scripture talks about a supper. In Revelation, when he comes again, it says that there will be a great supper called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the Lord Jesus Christ will be there, and he will serve, and he will sit with us, and he will eat with us. And I don't know exactly what the menu will be. Will it actually be bread and the cup like it was in the upper room? I'm not sure, but whatever we eat at the marriage supper of the Lamb, I know for sure that as we're sitting there, we will look around at all of the beauty of heaven. We will reflect on the streets of gold and the gates of pearl and the mansions bright. We will see angels and saints who have gone before us. And as we look at one another, we will knowingly nod at each other and say we are here not because of anything that we have done, not because of our own works, and certainly not because we took a little bit of bread and a little drink, but we are here because of Jesus. Now, in a moment, I'd like to actually partake of the Lord's Supper. And under normal circumstances, we would have a fine-looking board of deacons here, and they would serve the Lord's Supper to all present. Unfortunately, we can't do that today, and so this isn't a, a real Lord's Supper. It's more a, an example of what the Lord's Supper is like. But I would be happy to help you remember by taking the Lord's Supper, and I welcome you to consider participating with me. If you don't have the emblems or the symbols of the Lord's Supper near you, that's perfectly fine. You can just watch. But if you happen to have a little bit of bread and a little bit of grape juice near you, you could pause and go and get them come back 
and participate with me in the Lord's Supper. I, I would love to have you share in this supper with me. Now let me read to you from 1 Corinthians and chapter 11 where Paul expresses to the Corinthian church the proper attitude and approach to the Lord's Supper. Here's what we read, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I have received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of this bread and drink of this cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are sick and weak among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But we, when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest will I set in order when I come. We are going to now turn our attention to the bread which represents the body of Christ and the cup which represents the blood of Christ. And Paul instructs us in this passage to examine ourselves before we partake. There is no one on earth who can properly judge your heart. I certainly cannot judge you and I am not your judge. Neither are the deacons of the local church or any other church member, and in fact, we should not be judging one another. But if we have the Holy Spirit, with the Word of God, we can judge our own heart. And we can ask God if we are in a proper condition to come and sit with Him at His table. And if you have any concern that you may not be in the right condition before God, Jesus Christ has already done everything to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And the moment you put your faith and trust in the gospel, all of your sins are washed away and you're right and pure before him. And if as a Christian you stumble and fall along the way and commit sins then we have that wonderful promise in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So why don't you pause for a moment now and examine your own heart. Say, Lord, I may not be in the proper condition. There may be thoughts that have entered into my mind, actions that have been done by my hands, words that have come out of my mouth that are not right. And take a few moments and make it right. 
And then once you've examined yourself, then take the bread, which the Bible says represents the body of Christ. And take eat, Jesus said. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. says that after the same manner he took the cup and the cup represents the blood of Christ the foundation of all of those promises that God has made to us and Jesus took the cup and he said this cup is the new covenant or new testament in my blood this do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me Two thousand years ago, Jesus took something as plain and ordinary as bread and a little cup of grape juice, and he made them represent the most significant thing in the universe him and the salvation that he offers. As you go out into the world, and serve one another this new week, would you consider what Mark's gospel in the 8th chapter and the 34th verse says? Jesus had called his people to him, it says, and his disciples also, and he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, and follow me. 